Hello. Welcome to the people who just arrived. My name is Heather Shorin Yaruso, and I am, um, as you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a priest who lives here at City Center. And I'm grateful to see all of you here. There's so many other ways you could be spending your Tuesday evening. So thank you for making the effort to come out in the cold, dark rain and sit in the slightly warmer Buddha Hall. I'm uncomfortable, for those of you on the tatami, uncomfortable, for some of us, uncomfortable mats here in the Buddha Hall. I'd like to talk today about this case. Uh, it's case 43 in the Blue Cliff Record. And as I mentioned earlier, the Blue Cliff Record is a collection of 100 koans, K-O-A-N. And we are practicing, studying, sitting with koans from the Blue Cliff Record as part of our city center practice period. So right now, in the alternate universe, in the dining room, Abbots Ed and David are speaking about some of these cases in the Blue Cliff Record and um, offering some of the commentary that Suzuki Roshi, the founder of San Francisco Zen Center, gave on some of these cases. So the case, I will read it again for those of you who um, just arrived. It's called Tozan's Cold and Heat. So a monk asks Tozan, Cold and heat descend upon us. How can we avoid them? Tozan said, Why don't you go where there is no cold or heat? The monk said, Where is this place where there is no cold or heat? And Tozan responded, When it's cold, let the cold kill you. And when it's hot, let the heat kill you. So first, just a little bit about koan. So koan... Um, the word koan in Chinese refers to like a public case, like li literally like a legal case that was brought before court, right? So this is a public case, right? And in Japanese, it can be uh, interpreted as a matter for public thought, right? Maybe we would say like food for thought. And these koans were often um, encounter dialogues, right? That's another way people refer to them encounter dialogue, sometimes between a student asking their teacher, or between two teachers, like what people would say, like a dharma combat, or sometimes it's just a question that the teacher themselves had their whole lives, right? So something that they've been sitting with, what perhaps brought them to, to practice to begin with, right? Um, so these koans are often anecdotal, uh, encounter dialogues that are often enigmatic, kind of impenetrable, like maybe some of you might feel about this particular koan. So they're made, well, I wouldn't say they're made, part of their function really is to confound the logical mind. Oh, cold heat? I know what that is. It's cold when it's this temperature out, and it's hot when it's this temperature. And when it's cold, I feel this way, and when it's hot, I feel that way. Right? So that logic, mind is trying to figure things out, put everything into a box so we can go about our day. Right? Sometimes that's helpful, sometimes it's not so helpful. In this tradition, this Soto Zen tradition, 
S-O-T-O, and Tozan is the founder of what became the Soto Zen tradition in Japan. So Eihei Dogen founded Soto Zen in Japan, taking the tradition from um, China. So T-O is the to in, so, in Soto. And in Chinese, Tozan's name is Dongshan. So it can often be confusing, as it was for me and still is, that we have Chinese names and Japanese names. And then if you go further back, you have Indian names, which are sometimes in Sanskrit, sometimes in Pali, and sometimes those names are also translated into Chinese or Japanese. So it can be, um, like I said, a little confusing. So um, if you hear someone say Dungshan, that's Tozan. Okay? And he's a very prominent, he, was, he is a very prominent teacher in um, Chan, which is Zen um, teaching. In this tradition, the Soto Zen tradition, we don't take up koan practice in the same uh, way that, say, our cousin school, Renzai, R-I-N-Z-A-I. They have more of a Zen uh, koan curriculum. They do a lot of koan introspection like we were doing. I read the koan, you're letting that percolate through, and I asked some questions while we were sitting. Um, Normally, in Soto Zen, we just practice Shiken Taza, which is basically just sitting, right? Not focusing on any one thing in particular, okay? And, of course, I'm giving a talk about a koan, and that can be helpful as well to study the koan in this way. But mainly it's about embodying the understanding of the koan below, beyond words and phrases. But as my teacher's teacher, Dining Katagiri Roshi said, you have to say something. That's the name of one of these books. So this talk is my attempt to say something that I hope is clarifying and not um, confusing. All right, so the monk is asking this kind of simple question. It's going to get hot, it's going to get cold. How do I avoid it? I'm sure we've all asked questions about how can I avoid something. So is he really speaking literally about cold and heat? He could have been, you know, I wasn't there when it was uh, happening. So it could have been a question about how do I avoid extreme weather, right? Um, Or perhaps underneath that, another layer under that is, I'm going to die, I'm going to get sick, I'm going to grow old. How could I avoid all the stress that's arising in my life? So the cold and heat could be taken literally, how do I avoid extreme weather? Or it could be taken in a metaphoric way. All this arising, distress, uh, loss, grief, everything that I maybe don't want in my life. How can I avoid? How can I avoid that? Right. So how can I get what I want and avoid what I don't want? That's what a lot of us humans uh, try to do. And of course, uh, like other animals, other sentient animals, we are trying to. It makes sense to move away from pain because pain could mean that we can, our life could be in danger, right? So it's an old reflex to move away from pain and seek out less pain or seek out pleasure. So I think that's just part of how we are as human beings, how we're conditioned is to avoid what might be harmful to us. 
And of course, we live in a country um, where depending on our socioeconomic status, and I mention that because it's a helpful reminder for me, um, someone who grew up kind of middle class, um, I grew up more working class uh, in, um, outside of the Bronx in New York, we never had an air conditioner. I don't know about you all, but there was no such thing as an air conditioner. How we got cool was, maybe, I don't know, some of you might have heard about these stories of us Gen Xers, but we would take a shower and then we have this box fan that we I'd put, in my, I'd put in front of my bed and I was sopping wet and then I would just have the fan blowing on me. And that was kind of cool because if you got close to the fan and you started talking, your voice would vibrate through the fan. Um, so that was our air conditioning. Um, other people had, uh, I never went to a place that had central air. Everybody had wall units, you know, you put in the window. So our house was so old, we didn't have any air conditioning or air conditioning units. Uh, so depending on our socioeconomic status, we could manipulate the environment in our house. Right? You can turn up the heat or you can turn up the air conditioning. So we can avoid a certain amount of physical discomfort if we want. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? There's nothing wrong with being safe and comfortable. On this deeper level, though, the monk is asking, how can I avoid this suffering that's going to arise in my life? Where can I go where there is no suffering? And for those of you who might be familiar with the Four Noble Truths, the first noble truth is there is suffering intrinsic in just being alive. Right? And the second noble truth is there's these causes and conditions that create suffering in our lives. Right? So not just this physical discomfort of the, of the cold or the heat, but also any psycho-emotional suffering that might arise. Especially now I'm reading that all these thousands of people are being laid off from Twitter, people are going to be laid off from the metaverse. Uh, I like the play with that M-E-T-A and call it M-E-T-T-A, which means loving kindness, right? So the meta, I wish it was the metaverse first, but uh, what can you do? So whatever the suffering is that's going to be arising, how do I avoid it, right? I'm gonna lose everybody I love, right? And sometimes I have to be in a room with people I really don't like. So there's no way really to avoid the suffering, even though we may be looking to avoid it. And of course, in our society, there's many, many ways to avoid suffering, right? We have the internet, which provides us the ability to 24-7 uh, get access to news, get access to, I can't even, I don't know what my father would do with all these TV channels. I mean, he grew up when there wasn't even any television sets necessarily, and then we just had like seven or so and now there's billions of them. So we have so many ways, because we're so imaginative as human beings, we have this phenomenal ability to um, create, right, and imagine. So we can intoxicate ourselves with entertainment, with exercise, uh, sports, whether that's watching sports or playing sports, sex, relationships, even with Zazen. I mean, anything could be used as a crutch, uh, a way to avoid, right? So that's one thing we have to be mindful of. What is my motivation by watching this or doing this particular thing? Am I moving away from some discomfort? And I'm not saying that's, I'm not 
please don't take anything I'm saying as a hard and fast rule. Like this is all about exploration and experimenting, right? This is all about becoming intimate with what goes on for us, learning more about what, what, who I am sitting on this cushion, right? Becoming intimate with what's going on in our bodies and minds. And one of the ways that we um, can generate our own suffering is through the mind, right? So the thinking mind, we, we can get so caught up in our fantasies where the fantasy feels more real than what's going on right now. So there's a, like that virtual reality I heard, I read a headline about, is it Oculus? Is that the name of the, whoever made those virtual reality? That we can you can just disappear into that right and earlier on that was just video games right where you watch playing video games and i grew up with atari which i don't know if any of you know atari but it was like you know just little uh, rectangles and things moving along and all that and it wasn't that exciting it was exciting for us and they, my favorite one was superman where it was like this you know one very one-dimensional um gotham in the background and then Superman, he, you have to avoid Lex Luthor, and then you have to try to grab them and put them into jail and save Lois Lane. And when you picked up Lois Lane as, as Superman, because, you know, God forbid Lois Lane should be able to do anything on her own, <laughs> Superman would come along, he'd pick her up, and then her leg would go up, and there would be this little, like, ding, ding, like, kissing sound as you flew across <laughs> Gotham skyline with Lois Lane attached to Superman. Anyway, it's funny. So they weren't really, they were exciting for us, but they're nothing like what you all can experience now, whether you have your virtual reality um, headset on, whatever that's called. Uh, so anyway, so getting lost in these fantasies, this is one way we often distract ourselves. Sometimes we don't even know we're doing it, right? We get lost in thought. And so when we're meditating, part of what we're doing is trying to notice that habit of mind to, to entertain itself, right? Get lost in those fantasies. And when we, uh, when we pay attention to what's arising in the senses, right, noticing the traffic, noticing the sound, noticing the temperature, we're keeping the mind, as I said, keep the mind in the room, we're keeping the mind present to the physicality of right now, here and now, right? Sound, someone's moving, I can feel my breath, I can hear my breathing sensations perhaps, I need to move my body a little bit. I notice a ache in my left knee. So that's what we're doing is we're bringing the mind's attention back to what's happening right now. So the mind may think that it can time travel, but in actuality, it's still right here in the present moment, right? And so as some of you know, Siddhartha, the Buddha, he left his princely palace because he saw what they call the four heavenly messengers. So he saw an old person, a sick person, and a corpse being burned, right? Sickness, old age, and death, suffering. The heat and cold. How can I avoid sickness, old age, and death? And then he also saw a wandering monk, a wandering ascetic. And the charioteer, the person who took him out of the palace, told him, oh, this is what happens. We all are going to grow old, and we're all going to get sick, and we're all going to die. Well, who's this person walking around in orange or maybe even back then naked? Oh, that's a wandering holy man, right? So the Buddha saw these four heavenly messengers and was determined to figure out a way 
to uh, be liberated from suffering in this in the here and now, right? So part of what this is is that you know, just like the monk, we have to first acknowledge that we're suffering. I'm not sure about your experiences. However, for me, no one ever mentioned the word suffering in my my childhood. People were suffering, but it was just your cross to bear. I mean, there wasn't any way out of it, right? There was no salvation for me in this lifetime uh, in the religion that I grew up in. So the first thing is noticing, recognizing that we're suffering. Suffering is present. Hot, cold, these are my preferences. Sickness, old age, and death. I'm going to lose people I love. I'm going to die myself. Right? So acknowledging our suffering is the first, is the first step. Right, and then, you know, so Tozan says, well, why don't you just go where there's no cold or heat? That sounds like a good plan. I mean, where's that? Maybe San Diego, right? No cold, no heat. So he's like 80 degrees and there's a breeze and such. Um, so there really isn't any place physically where there's no cold or no heat, right? So Tozan is suggesting a few things, I think, in, in his response here is... Uh, First of all, paying attention to the relativity of cold and heat. If any of you live with people who have a different internal thermostat, you may want it to be warmer and they may want it to be colder. You may have 15 blankets on you in bed and they're just like, I'm sweating, and you're like, I'm freezing. So the relativity of these terms, not everybody experiences cold and heat the same way. Some people, I used to, there was a housemate of mine when I lived in Washington, D.C., he loved it when it was 95 degrees out and humid, and I was just could not handle the 95 degree weather. If it got over 82, I was it was too hot for me. So who's right or wrong? Nobody, right? We have inner thermostat. We all respond to the temperature in a different way. So that's like a basic level of this particular koan is reminding us that we have these preferences, right? That we may prefer warmer weather to colder weather. And that may change, right? That may change depending on what's going on for us. Um, I know when I lived in Austin, Texas, and there was hardly any cold weather, I miss like putting on a wool sweater and getting all snuggly, right? And then when I'm here walking in San Francisco, I'm like, oh, it's so cold. Like, I just, where's the sun? I want to go back to some place where it's warm, right? Again, another tendency of the mind, we want to be somewhere else. Can I be somewhere else that's not here? Because the mind tells us that that's a better place, right? So it's not about not having likes or dislikes, like I prefer warm weather or I prefer cold weather, that's fine. It's how are we reacting to us not, not being able to mold reality to meet our preferences, right? What happens when you walk into the Buddha hall and all the doors are open and just, it's so cold in here it's what happens. It's not that you're experiencing the cold, that's fine. But what's going on what's going on for you? Is there a lot of resistance? There's a lot of agitation? Is there a lot of is there anger? Do you leave because you don't want to be in the cold? So that's what we're studying is what is our reaction to reality, right? In the here and now, what's going on? And this reflects our karmic conditioning. Right? Some people would never say anything um, about, oh, can we please close the window? Or because they don't want to ripple. And then somebody else would always be saying that. Again, it's not a right or wrong. It's like, what is one of my tendencies? How, I, how have I been conditioned? Right? What's my karmic conditioning? 
in reaction to or response to this reality. Okay. Um, and again, when we are in situations where we're experiencing some discomfort, we want to move away, right? I had this, um, you know, we, so we, we equate being able to avoid suffering and satisfying our sensual desires with freedom, right? This is the land of the free. Everybody talks about freedom. It's like we're perpetual teenagers in the country. I gotta be free to do everything. I gotta be free to do this. And I remember a long time ago when I was in college, I read this book, which if you have not read it, I highly recommend it, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. He speaks about his experience surviving in one of the concentration camps during the Holocaust. And he was talking about offsetting the Statue of Liberty, which uh, as you know is uh, in the New York Harbor, with a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast, right? It's like the complement of the more freedom we have, which usually means we're more adults, the more responsibility we have. So it's not just we get to have all this freedom without responsibility. And part of our Zen practice is taking responsibility for what's arising, for our, our, our thoughts, our actions, and our speech. We may not be in control of what arises, but we are responsible for how we um, go through the world, right? Um, yeah, so we think that these modern escapes that we have alleviate our suffering, but often they, what they basically do is they, they hide it from us, right? We can get so lost in our job or exercise or relationship or virtual reality or watching television, but that doesn't really alleviate, really transform the suffering that we might be feeling. So um, just again, it's noticing how we want to move away and then paying attention to what the results are, right? So we can, this minor delusions could be something like, well, hey, speaking about myself here, let me just eat every single piece of junk food I possibly can, and then I'll be upset if I gain weight. Okay, well, teenager mind, there's consequences now, right? I mean, I think that's part of, I call it teenager mind, the mind that feels like there aren't any consequences, right? It's like, oh, I'm gonna do this, and then I'm surprised that there's consequences. Right? We have to just remember that there's consequences to our actions and to our and to our speech, right? So often we think we're we're avoiding suffering and it's just going to be relief, but when we really pay attention to it, that suffering is usually still there, and we just happen to avoid it for that moment, right? Um, so when we practice meditation, we turn our gaze inward. What's going on in my body-mind? Who is the one that is feeling the cold? What are the thoughts that are arising around feeling this cold? Right? Where do I feel the cold? Is the cold that I felt at the very beginning the same cold that I'm feeling now? Am I the same person I was when I walked in and sat down? Right. So I said in my talk a few weeks ago that we are all complexes of relationships that are interacting with other complexes of relationships. Nothing static. So the mind that's perceiving is also moving, right? So the mind that's perceiving the cold when it hits our skin, or when we, if you will, like our nose gets cold or we smell the cold, the mind that's perceiving that is also in a constant state of flux, just like everything that we're perceiving, okay? So we're, we're changing as well as external circumstances are changing, okay? 
And so when we're sitting here, we get to practice more because it's not so easy to escape the cold. Of course, you all could get up and run out if you want. Of, you know, run out of the Buddha Hall and escape the cold that way if you'd like, although it's colder outside. Um, and, you know, I had this, um, you know, the thing about Zazen is it really helps us to stay with the ups and downs of our experience in the present moment. Because, as this wonderful teacher, Pema Chodron, says, you know, there's this wisdom of no escape, right? So, we think that getting all of our desires fulfilled, getting everything that we like, is actually um, the perfect world. But if we really look closely at that, that doesn't often bring relief from, from suffering. And uh, one of Suzuki Roshi's comments about this particular koan is, is this. To kill cold or hot, I don't know how you understand it. Maybe for a beginner, it is pretty hard to sit when your legs are painful. I think it is more difficult for someone to sit with painful legs in hot weather, but how you practice, how you practice Zazen in such difficulty is something you should understand, right? So Zazen is not about escaping difficulty or physical discomfort. It's like, how can we be with it? How can we be with the extreme weather, if you like, that's arising? Whenever I had some pain in my legs, I used to think about this koan, and I try not to move, even though my legs are painful. And when I was in um, at the monastery, uh, I was living in a cabin for my first practice period that had only tatami floors. There wasn't any heat, there wasn't any insulation. There's no hot water, and there's no shower in your cabin. You have a bathroom, and you have cold water sink. So I was cold all the time, um, and this was like 2008, it's my first time there. Um, nobody told me like to bring, I mean, I didn't own a sleeping bag. So uh, anyway, I did have I did have clothes. I did have eventually had a sleeping bag and all that, but the cold was really cold, and I was having a lot of difficulty with it. So, um, as part of what we do at the monastery, in the meditation hall, everybody sits. If you've been to the meditation hall down in the basement here, people sit on these raised platforms or tans, T-A-N. And during practice periods at Tassahara, there's a serving crew, and you serve everybody in a routine way in the meditation hall. Three times a day, there's a serving crew that comes in while you all are sitting there, and you get served. It's really lovely. It's one of my favorite things to do is to serve. However, my feet were frozen. Like, you could not go into the zendo. You weren't supposed to go in with socks on. And it was like 20-something degrees out. And you're standing on this cold wooden veranda, if you are, the back of the zendo, waiting to go in. So my feet were like these, felt like these thick, hot bricks, and I was having difficulty walking. And I was very much a complainer. I wasn't one of those people like suffering in silence <laughs> at all. Like, listen to me, crow, I'm going to talk to you. Oh, squirrel, I want to complain to you. Hold on, tree, I'm going to complain to every, anyway. So um, I had never been in this kind of weather. I'm not a hiker. I don't, you know, never owned a, a headlamp. This is very different for me to be in this kind of weather. And um, anyway, I remember coming across the bridge. There was a little bridge over one of the creeks. And my feet were freezing, and I was walking to the to eat breakfast. I had my shoes on. It wasn't like I was walking barefoot. But my feet were so cold still in the boots. And one of my um, 
other friends, uh, it was also her first practice period, she was walking across and I was kind of crying. And she's like, what's going on? You know, what's happening? And I, I gave her this hug and I just started weeping more. And I said, my feet are freezing. I might have cursed. And I'm exaggerating. And I don't know where that came from. I'm exaggerating. And then we both started laughing. And it was this beautiful moment of something else coming forward that I didn't realize was there. Which was not that my feet weren't cold, that's true, they were super cold, but all this kind of extra suffering made it really hard for me even to feel the cold sensations in my feet, right? Just like this monk, there were so many layers of exaggeration, if you will, so many layers of drama in my psycho-emotional being, I'm pointing here, who knows where it is, uh, that I wasn't really feeling the pain. And this voice that said, and I'm exaggerating, I had, I, that wasn't anything I was intending to say, it just came out as we were hugging. And then I was laughing, I'm like, oh my God, what is this about? What is, it really made me curious, what is this exaggeration, right? So, meanwhile, I did ask for permission to buy socks that were heated. <laughs> so they had these little, uh, again, from L.L. Bean or something, and they heated your toes, and there was like a little nine volt battery up at the top, and I got permission to wear them into the Zendo when I was serving. So it was heating my, um, it had these wires and it was heating my toes. And the woman who I was, who was the head of my serving crew, she was from India. And I mentioned that because she had this great phrase, she called, magic socks, you got your magic socks on. <laughs> and so I'd wear these magic socks into the Zendo because my feet were freezing. I got permission, like I said. And then uh, somehow, somewhere, I wouldn't say it was the, the first practice period, but by my third practice period, I was no longer wearing socks in the Zendo ever at all. Ever again did I ever wear a sock in the Zendo. And of course, the causes of the conditions that were there was that I was meditating all this time and I got to see this part of me that was, I don't know if you know that word histrionic, just exaggerating a lot about the pain. I was able to stay, as Suzuki Roshi was, says in this next comment that I'll, I'll mention, um, I was able to stay with the painful sensations without all of this, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, I always thought it was Italian, but it's actually Hebrew, Mishingas, like all this drama about stuff, right? And so here's what Suzuki Roshi says about this. He says, to kill the pain or cold or heat means to become one with the pain. You should forget about your legs. You should become one with the pain, not your body's pain, but pain. Right? Just pain. And it is not you who feel the pain because you are one with the pain. That which exists is just pain. Right? So for me, that exaggeration, I don't know, like that cloud of suffering, that thick cloud of suffering was what was making it even worse because I wasn't able to stay with the physical sensations. So I started to stand on that back wooden um, veranda, and in Japanese it's called Mangawa and just feel the painful sensations in my feet. And in fact, that made me suffer less. 
I, I can't, it was just like this miracle. I can't explain all that happened that got me to that point where I could just stand back there and have my feet be cold. Now, they weren't anywhere near being my frostbite or anything like that, but they were very, they were very cold. But that extra jumping around about it just started to, just started to fall away and fall away. Um, so Suzuki Roshi says, you know, nothing exists but the pain, if you will. There's no Heather exaggerating about it, if you will, or complaining about it. It's like, how can I meet what's coming up in this moment without, or noticing all the extra, right? I had to notice all that extra exaggeration, all that extra stuff, because I was in this cabin without heat. And then at night I was shivering and I was eating all these, I was eating like two cliff bars, which I don't recommend because they, you put on, I put on so much weight and it's like, I am shivering, I am shivering, you know? <laughs> so I learned a lot uh, in the middle of all that cold. Um, so Suzuki Roshi says, you know, nothing exists but the pain. You have no legs or no body, no feeling. That means you become one with the pain, right? So letting, the current circumstances burn through you, and, and 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 just like me, noticing when there's this extra suffering there that I was inflicting upon myself, right? And and even though it was in that circumstance around my feet being so cold, as one teacher says, you know, how we do one thing is how we do everything. That was a very thick habit pattern for me, right? Whatever that content was, that was a thick pattern for me. Um, so, you know, so uh, Tozan's response, go where there is no colder heat, is a reminder to this monk that there is no escaping the causes and conditions, right, of life, the suffering that's going to arise. And it was also an encouragement to continue practicing and investigating uh, what's going on for him in the, what are the origins of suffering, right? Uh, and also, I think that Tozan is also highlighting just the mind's natural proclivity to name, discriminate, cold, heat. But if, just say for instance, you've always ever lived in the Arctic, right? And you never went to, to Miami. You wouldn't really know what heat was necessarily, right? Or you have some idea of heat when it was less cold. But then you went to Miami and you think, oh my God, this is really warm. So there's just this uh, natural duality that the mind latches onto and labels something. I know that this is black, right? Because he's wearing a gray shirt. So I see the difference of the colors. I know that something feels hot because that's how my body temperature experiences it. But if I only ever knew heat, then I really wouldn't know cold, right? So that's like, that's just like a, a comparison mind, right? Um, and sometimes the comparison is fine. Sometimes it's not causing suffering. Um, but noticing again the complaining that might arise or the resistance that might arise when we when our need when our preferences aren't being met, right? So it's like letting go of wanting it to be different, letting go of wanting my cold my feet to be warm. Right? The letting go is the first step to noticing all this um, extra suffering that made the pain even more intense, right? So I think that. Um, when this relativity drops of cold and heat or Heather's experiencing cold or Heather's experiencing heat, when that dualistic mind starts to settle, that resistance is also settling and starts to slowly dissolve 
and we can just be with what's arising without all that exaggeration. And so this is what Tozan's saying, Heather, when it's cold, <laughs> let the cold kill you. And when it's hot, let the heat kill you. Which is like letting it burn through you or chill through you so that there's less and less conditioned suffering and just the physicality of that experience. Right? Um, and this, for me, is really the um, what's so wonderful about practicing meditation and studying the Buddhist teachings and being in Sangha, the third jewel, is that we are illuminating each other's blind spots as, as we illuminate ourselves. And coming together, we can help each other um, burn through some of that exaggerated resistance around what's arising. Um, and meaning, this other person is arising in front of me and, and they're annoying me. <laughs> Right? How can I be with that? Or how can I be with me when I'm annoying myself? Right? How can I be present here? And that's where, uh, you know, just being, feeling the cold or feeling the heat without all these interpretations or exaggerations, that's intimacy and that's also freedom. Right? Taste of freedom in each moment. Right? And that's um, what the Buddha sought out to do is become free from suffering in this lifetime. So that's the, the goalless goal of our practice, is to experience uh, as much freedom as we can, um, moment to moment, from our karmic suffering. So, thank you.